on a ride, an amusement ride, and decided that I was bored, so I jumped off in the middle of the ride. That could have gone bad. But it didn't. I'm still here, apparently. Uh, one other story that, uh, I've got tons of these guys, we could just keep going, but uh, another story that comes to mind is just a few years ago, me and Jeremiah were building a house downtown and I proceeded to fall through the floor on the first level and land on the basement floor nine or 10 feet below. That could have gone really bad too. So all that to say that I think all of us probably have some stories like this, that particular events in our lives, particular things in our lives that happened that could have gone a lot differently than they did and could have been a lot worse than it was. Um, as we come to uh, 1 Samuel this morning, we're going to read a few scenarios, a few scenes out of the life of David where that is true, where things could have been a lot different and things could have gone a lot worse for David, but they didn't. Um, so as we go into this text today, this is what I would like to, for us to see from 1 Samuel chapter 21 to 23 this morning. And that is this, that God graciously preserves his anointed for his glory and his purposes. That God graciously preserves his anointed for his glory and his purposes. Now just as a, a, a little recap at this point, uh, in, in Samuel, the, the birth of Samuel has been recorded and, and Samuel grows up and becomes the judge of Israel and the Israelites come to a place in their history where they are begging for a king. They want to be like the other nations, and they're begging for a king. And Samuel uh, obeys their wish, and at God's command, appoints for them a king. And the king that is appointed by Samuel is King Saul. And King Saul uh, was one of those guys that looked like a king. Uh, the, the scripture says that there was none in all of the kingdom with an appearance like him, and he stood ahead over everybody else. So he stuck out in the crowd, uh, and he was appointed king by Samuel, and it went bad quickly. Uh, Saul really did not live in the fear of the Lord. And much of what Saul did as king and is doing as king in this text is serving himself. And before we even get to chapter 21, Saul has already made unofficial, unacceptable sacrifices and has already sought the Lord in an inappropriate way and has already disobeyed the commandment of the Lord in regards to the Amalekites. So as we get into this text, I just want to draw attention to King Saul for a few minutes. And the first thing that we need to see about King Saul is that Saul is a madman. Saul is a madman, and because of his sin, because of his rebellion against God, he is going insane, and God has judged him. 
God told Saul very clearly that you have not kept my command with which I have commanded you. And then the Lord said, I would have established the kingdom for you forever over Israel, but now your kingdom will not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. And in 1 Samuel 15, 28, God says this, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you this day and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. Let me ask you this. How would you respond if you were in a prominent position? If you were the king or if you were the queen over a nation and God told you you are no longer my chosen king. You are no longer my chosen queen. I have chosen someone else. And that's a hard question. That's a hard question to ask yourself. That's a, that's a hard question to, to kind of dig into the, the recesses of your heart and to think about how you would respond in a situation like that. But Saul's response to the revelation of God that God has moved on from him as king is only further evidence of his foolishness and folly before God. See, if, if Saul had wisdom and if, if Saul had fear of the Lord and if, if Saul loved the Lord his God with all his heart, when God said these things to him, he would have taken them to heart, he would have understood what God has said, he would have believed what God had said, and he would have accepted what God had said. And he would have repented of his foolishness. But he didn't. He would have done whatever was necessary in that situation to be made right with God. But what we see in King Saul is this, is that Saul worshipped at the altar of being king. Saul worshipped at the altar of being king, and Saul did not worship the God who made him king. Saul worshipped at the altar of being king and did not worship the God who made him king. At this point in 1 Samuel, and we'll see this, Saul feels entitled to be the king. Saul feels like it is his right to be the king, that he deserves to be the king, and that he is going to keep himself as the king. This is crazy to think about in light of the fact that when Samuel found King Saul, when Samuel met with King Saul, King Saul was out looking for a donkey for his dad. This was not exactly a, a royal activity. He's out in the countryside chasing down a, a donkey that belonged to his father. And Samuel runs into him and God tells Samuel to anoint him king. And it's interesting, how does a man go from being in that position? He was a nobody. 
He was King Saul. He even said that. Who am I? I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. Who am I that that you would make me king? He goes from being this guy that's just out in the countryside working for his dad, looking for a donkey, to becoming the king of Israel. And, And here we are, this same man, this same man who seemed to have humility before, who is now determined that he is going to remain king on his own strength. One way of putting it is that by God's sovereign power, Saul became king. But now, Saul has determined that by his sovereign power, he is going to stay king. My friend, it is a, it is a scary thing when human beings take positions that God intended for serving His people and use it to serve themselves. And this is exactly what Saul has done. God's plan, God's purposes, God's word, God's prophetic rebuke is irrelevant to Saul at this point because he is going to stay king. And as a result of his sin and as a result of his rebellion and as a result of the judgment of God against him, Saul is paranoid, Saul is depressed, he's fearful, he's angry, he's looking over his shoulder every second he he can, he's envious of people, he's full of hatred for David, and Saul has already attempted multiple times to take David's life, and Saul even intended and attempted to take his own son's life. Now, there, there's, there's things for us to consider here. When a position or a career or a financial position or a job or a title or a personal goal, whatever it may be, it becomes the, the ultimate pursuit of life. This is the recipe for insanity. This is the recipe for insanity. Just take a few minutes to think about your own life. And I was doing this this week thinking about my life. If I've gone through periods of time where I was extremely anxious, extremely stressed out, extremely fearful. Think about those times in your life. Think about the, the most stressful times of your life, the times of greatest anxiety in your life. And all of us have had these moments. What is happening here? In those moments, what was it that you were pursuing? In those moments, what was it that you were going after that you were concerned about or that you were worried about that you weren't going to get or that you weren't going to be able to keep or that I wasn't going to get or I wasn't going to be able to keep? Because here's the truth. Here's the truth. Listen to this statement. The degree to which the human heart, the degree to which the Christian is pursuing the glory and purposes of God, it is to this degree that the Christian will have peace and joy in this life and be free from anxiety and stress and fear. I'm going to say that again. To the degree to which the human heart, the Christian, is pursuing the glory and purposes of God. It is to that degree that the Christian will have peace and will be free from anxiety. Ladies and gentlemen, if Saul would have accepted the word that came from the Lord, this would have been totally different. 
This would have been a totally different situation. But he didn't. And as a result, Saul's idolatry leads to the relentless pursuit of God's chosen king. And that's what we come to in chapter 21 through 23 this morning. What we see in this text is four different scenes. Four different scenes where Saul is attempting to take David's life. And we're going to look at these scenes in pieces. We're going to look at Saul and what he did, and then we're going to look at, at David and what he did, and then we're going to look at how God responds. But what we're going to look at at this moment is that Saul's idolatry leads him to a relentless pursuit of God's chosen king. So let's just read together, um, starting in chapter 1 of verse 22. David departed from there and escaped to the... Uh, sorry, verse 1 of chapter 22. David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his, with his, when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. And everyone who was in distress and everyone who was in debt and everyone who was bitter in soul gathered to him and became captain over them. And there were with him about 400 men. And David went from there to Mizpah of Moab, and he said to the king of Moab, Please let my father and my mother stay with you till I know what God will do for me. And he left them with the king of Moab, and they stayed with them all the time that David was in the stronghold. Then the prophet Gad, the prophet Gad said to David, <clears throat> Do not remain in the stronghold. Depart and go into the land of Judah. So David departed and went into the forest of Hereth. Now Saul heard that David was discovered. And the men who were with him, Saul was sitting at Gibeah under the Tamarisk tree and on the height with his spear in his hand, and all his servants were standing about him. And Saul said to his servant who stood about him, Hear now, people of Benjamin, will the son of Jesse give every one of you fields and vineyards? Will he make you all commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds? That all of you have conspired against me? No one discloses to me when my son makes a covenant with the son of Jesse. None of you is sorry for me or discloses to me that my son has stirred up against me to lie and wait as at this day. Then answered Doeg the Edomite who stood by the servants of Saul, I saw the son of Jesse coming to Nob, to Ahimelech the son of Ahiatub. And he inquired of the Lord for him and gave him provision and gave him the sword of Goliath, the Philistine. So King Saul sends to summon Ahimelech, the priest, the son of Ahiatub, and all his father's house and the priest who were at Nob, and all of them came to the king. And Saul said this, Hear now, son of Ahiatub. And he answered, Here I am, my lord. And Saul said to him, Why have you conspired against me, you and the son of Jesse, in that you have given him bread and a sword and have inquired of God for him, so that he has risen against me to lie and wait as at this day? Then Ahimelech answered the king, And who among all your servants is so faithful as David, 
Who is the king's son-in-law and captain over your bodyguard and honored in your house? Is today the first time that I have inquired of God for him? No. Let not the king impute anything to his servant or to all the house of my father. For your servant has known nothing of all this, much or little. So Saul approaches the priest, Ahimelech, the priest of Nob. And what had happened, and we read this in chapter 21, is that David visited Ahimelech. And this is what the scripture says. David came to Nob to Ahimelech the priest. This is verse 1 of chapter 21. And Ahimelech came to meet David trembling and said to him, Why are you alone and no one with you? And David said to Ahimelech the priest, The king has charged me with a matter and said to me, Let no one know anything of the matter about which I send you and with which I have charged you. I have made an appointment with the young men for such and such a place. So David has lied to Ahimelech. He has told him, he has told Ahimelech that he is there because King Saul has given him a special job, a secret job that no one can know about. And so Ahimelech believes that he is being faithful to Saul in helping David. David has deceived him. So David says to Ahimelech in verse 3, Now then, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread, whatever is here. And the priest answered David, I have no common bread on hand, but there is holy bread. If the young men have kept themselves from women. And David answered the priest, Truly, women have been kept from us always, as always, when we go on an expedition. The vessels of the young men are holy, even when it is an ordinary journey. How much more today will their vessels be holy? So the priest gave him the holy bread, for there was no bread but the bread of the present, which is removed from before the Lord, to be replaced by hot bread on the day that it is taken away. Now there was a certain man among the servants of Saul that was there that day, detained before the Lord, and his name was Doeg the Edomite, the chief of Saul's herdsmen. Then David said to Ahimelech, Then have you not here a spear or a sword at hand? For I have brought neither my sword nor my weapons with me, because the king's business required haste. So David continues to deceive him. And the priest said, The sword of Goliath the Philistine, whom you struck down in the valley of Elah, behold, it is here wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you will take that, take it, for there is none but that here. And David said, There is none like that. Give it to me. So Ahimelech has no idea that he is doing something that would displease King Saul. All he knows, he he doesn't even know that there's a feud between King Saul and David. He doesn't know that that Saul is after David. He has no idea that these things have transpired since the last time he's seen David. And that's what he says in chapter 22. And who among all your servants is so faithful as David? Who is the king's son-in-law and captain over your bodyguard and honored in your house? He even tells Saul, is today the first time that I have inquired of God for David? No. And he begs the king, do not impute anything to me 
or to all the house of my father, for your servant has known nothing of all this, much or little. Now listen to King Saul's response. This is his madness, his insanity. He looks at Ahimelech and he says this, you shall surely die, Ahimelech, you and all your father's house. And the king said to the guard who stood about him, turn and kill the priest of the Lord because their hand also is with David. And they knew that he fled and did not disclose it to me. But the servants of the king would not put out their hand to strike the priest of the Lord. So then the king said to Doeg the Edomite, You turn and strike the the priest. And Doeg the Edomite turned and struck down the priest, and he killed on that day 85 persons who wore the linen ephod. And Nob, the city of priests, he put to the sword both man and woman, child and infant, donkey and sheep, he put to the sword. Saul's jealousy and Saul's madness was making him so insane that he slaughtered all the priests of the Lord that lived in Nob. And he, would not, he did not even have the ability to hear them make an explanation for why they helped David. And this is what madness does. This is the relentless pursuit that Saul had for David. So let's, let's look in verse uh, chapter 23. Chapter 23, verse 1, they told David, Behold, the Philistines are fighting against Keilah and are robbing the threshing floors. And therefore David inquired of the Lord, Shall I go and attack these Philistines? And the Lord said to David, Go and attack the Philistines and save Keilah. But David's men said to him, Behold, we are afraid here in Judah. How much more then if we go to Keilah against the enemies of the Philistines? Then David inquired of the Lord again, and the Lord answered him, Arise, go down to Keilah, for I will give you the Philistines into your hand. And David and his men went to Keilah, and they fought with the Philistines, and brought away their livestock, and struck them with a great blow. So David saved the inhabitants of Keilah. When Abiathar, the son of Ahimelech, had fled to David to Keilah, he had come down with an ephod in his hand. Now it was told Saul that David had come to Keilah. And Saul said, God has given him into my hand, for he has shut himself in by entering a town that has gates and bars. So Saul thought that David was trapped. And Saul summoned all the people of the war to go down to Keilah to besiege David and his men. And David knew that Saul was plotting harm against him. And he said to Abiathar the priest, bring the ephod here. Then said David, O Lord, the God of Israel, your servant has surely heard that Saul seeks to come to Keilah to destroy the city on my account. Will the men of Keilah surrender me into his hand? Will Saul come down as your servant has heard? O Lord, the God of Israel, please tell your servant. And the Lord said, he will come down. Then David said, Will the men of Keilah surrender me and my men into the hand of Saul? And the Lord said, They will surrender you. Then David and his men, who were about six hundred, arose and departed from Keilah. And they went 
wherever they could go. When Saul was told that David escaped from Keilah, he gave up the expedition and remained in the strongholds in the wilderness, in the hill country, in the wilderness of Ziph. Saul sought him every single day. So, in chapter 23, Saul uh, pursues David again. Uh, starting in verse 15, David saw that, that Saul had come out to seek his life. David was in the wilderness of Ziph at Horash, and Jonathan, Saul's son, rose and went to David at Horash and strengthened his hand in God. And he said to him, Do not fear, for the hand of Saul my father shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Saul, my father, also knows this. And the two of them made a covenant before the Lord. And David remained at Horesh, and Jonathan went home. Then the Ziphites went up to Saul at Gibeah, saying, Is not David hiding among us in the strongholds at Horesh, on the hills of Hekelah, which is in the south of Jeshimon? Now come, come down, O king, according to all your heart's desire, come down. For our part will be to surrender him into the king's hand. And Saul said, May you be blessed by the Lord, for you have had compassion on me. Go, make yet more sure. Know and see the place where his foot is, and know and who has seen him there. For it is told to me that he is very cunning. See therefore and take note of all the lurking places where he hides and come back to me with sure information. Then I will go with you. And if he is in the land, I will search him out among all the thousands of Judah. And they arose and went to Ziph ahead of Saul. Now David and his men were in the wilderness of Mon, in the Arabah to the south of Jeshimon. And Saul and his men went to seek him, and David was told. So he went down to the rock and lived in the wilderness of Mon. And when Saul heard that he pursued, he pursued after David in the wilderness of Mon. And Saul went on one side of the mountain, and David and his men went on the other side of the mountain. David was hurrying to get away from Saul. And as Saul and his men were closing in on David and his men to capture them, a messenger came to Saul saying, Hurry and come, for the Philistines have made a raid against the land. So Saul returned after pursuing David and went against the Philistines. Therefore, that place has been called the Rock of Escape. And David went up from there and lived in the stronghold of Engedi. So this is a lot of information. This is a lot of text. And this is a lot of uh, a lot of scenes here, but Paul, Saul is pursuing David relentlessly. He pursued him in Keilah, he pursued him in Nob, and he pursued him at the rock of escape in the wilderness. And here's what happened: Saul found himself fighting against God. See, Saul knew that David was God's chosen instrument, and yet he continued to fight against him. And what these chapters reveal to us is how, how futile, how futile it is for human beings to oppose God. And in his madness, Saul continues to go on and continues to go on. And in these texts, David imperfectly struggles in his faith. It's interesting to note that when he is in Nob, David actually lives he lies to the priest. And this is why I say it is by grace. God graciously preserves his anointed one. 
Because David is just as sinful as we are. And David struggles with fear just like we do. And David doesn't perfectly honor God in every situation just like we do. And here's David, the man after God's own heart, who lies to the priest of Nob and to Ahimelech, and it cost Ahimelech his entire family. Due to the lies that David told him, Ahimelech's entire family perishes. In um, verse 10 of chapter 21, look at what David does in Gath. David rose and fled that day from Saul and went to, to Ashish, the king of Gath. And the servants of Ashish said to him, Is this not David, the king of the land? So David thought that he could go there and they would not recognize him, which makes some sense because it's not like this is the you know, worldwide web Facebook age where everybody's pictures plastered all over the world. But there were still people in Gath who had seen David, who knew who David was. So the servants of Asher said to him, Is not this David the king of the land? Did they not sing to one another of him? In dances, Saul has struck down his thousands, and David his ten thousands. So David took these words to heart. So he, he understands that these people in Gath know who he is. He had been discovered, and now he's afraid. So look what he does in verse 13. He's changed his behavior before them and pretended to be insane in their hand. And he made marks on the doors, so he's scratching and scraping stuff. He made marks on the doors and on the gates, and he let spittle run down his beard. He was allowing drool to run down his beard while he's acting crazy, all to make the king of Gath think that he was a madman. And it works. Then Asher said to his servant, Behold, you see the man is mad. Why then have you brought him to me? Do I lack madmen? That you have brought this fellow to behave as a madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? And verse 1 tells that David departed from there and escaped from Gath. So Saul is pursuing relentlessly and David is fleeing fearfully for his life. <clears throat> but we also see in David a desire to do God's will. For example, when he drops off his parents in Moab, he tells the king of Moab, please let my father and my mother stay with you until I know what God will do for me. Until I know what God will do for me. And David does the same thing with Abiathar, the son of Ahimelech, in chapter 23. David cries out to the Lord and says, O oh Lord, the God of Israel, your, your servant has surely heard that Saul seeks to come to Keilah to destroy the city on my account. So David seeks God in the midst of his fleeing 
while he also imperfectly believed God by acting insane and lying to people and, and costing them their, their lives. Yet God graciously preserves him. See, it's important for us, we have the context of understanding what is happening in the grand scheme of the Bible. God has anointed David king and told him that he would be the king over Israel. And we come to know later on in 2 Samuel that God makes a promise to David that from him, that his line, his son, would be the king forever. And so we step back and we look into these scenes and we look from the, the, the grand scheme of biblical history and we can see how God's protected his, his anointed one. God has protected his anointed one. God has protected his anointed one. God has protected his anointed one. And it's easy to forget that that's not the perspective that David had. David's living in the scene. David's living in the time. David's experiencing this stuff in real life. He knows that the guy that is the king of Israel right now wants him dead. And he's struggling. And you can see it in this text. There's a part of him that's trusting God and there's a part of him that's trusting in himself. Yet God graciously preserves him. God graciously preserves him. Some things seem coincidental. The, he provides for him with the priest at Nob. He provides escape from the Philistines with the, the king of Gath. And he provides it through David's foolishness. He, he makes known to David that Saul is coming to capture them in Keilah. And then when, when David is, is on the other side of the mountain, this is the scene that's happening. Saul is on one side of the mountain pursuing them, and David's on the other side of the mountain. And Saul is almost to David. It's almost done. Look at what the text says. Saul went on one side of the mountain. This is chapter 23, verse 26. Saul went on one side of the mountain, and David and his men went on the other side of the mountain. David was hurrying to get away from Saul, and as Saul and his men were closing in on David and his men to capture them, in the moment, it's about to happen. The pursuit that Saul's been doing for a long time is about to come to an end. He is on David. And the, the, the Bible says that in that moment, a messenger catches Saul and says, the Philistines have made a raid against the land. Yes, God orchestrated a Philistine raid against the Israelites to preserve his anointed king. It's pretty amazing. I think many of us, especially those of us who've got some more years of experience under our belt, 
can look back across the history of our lives and see those providential moments, those providential moments where in the moment it seemed like an accident or it seemed like a happenstance or it seemed like a coincidence. But you look back on those moments and you realize, no, that was the hand of God. Graciously steering his people. You know, a key verse in this text, in these three chapters, is in chapter 23, verse 14. It's the last half of the verse. Saul sought David every day. But God did not give him into his hand. God did not give him into his hand. Saul was truly opposing God. Now, before we move on, I, I want to take a few minutes to think about Saul's situation and our situation. Every person, every single person that has ever been born on the, faith, on the face of planet Earth is born opposing God. Every single person who has ever been born is born opposing God. God. You realize that? Just this week, just this week, I was talking to my kids in our morning quiet time, telling them my testimony. And grew up in church, grew up knowing the truth, but there were areas of my life where I rebelled, and I rebelled big. And I can remember times in my life where my rebellion was so strong in my own heart that even in my trying to wrestle with God, the, the, the question that kept coming to my mind is how in the world could you ever forgive all this? You know, it does not matter what family you're born into. It does not matter where you live. It doesn't matter who your parents are. It doesn't matter who your friends are. It doesn't even matter if we go to church. Every single human being that has ever been born has been born in opposition to God. Every human being is born spiritually insane. Madmen. Think about how insane it is to think that the sovereign God of the universe has revealed His will, His will to human beings and that we can come up with something better. But every time, brothers and sisters, every time we choose to sin, that's exactly what we have agreed to. The reality is, is that we were all by nature children of wrath, born naturally inclined to oppose the truth of God. And that's why the scripture says this. 
If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. He reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Why does Paul use words like that? Because we are in opposition to God. The whole ministry of the gospel is taking people who are opposed to God, taking people who are enemies of God, and giving them a path, giving them a way to become sons and daughters of God. The gospel ministry is a ministry of reconciliation. It is important that every single person that's watching this broadcast right now understand there is no neutral territory when it comes to a holy God. We have either been bought with the precious blood of Christ and are sons and daughters of the King, or we are His enemies. That's the two options. And the church to this day has the ministry of reconciliation, the ministry of preaching reconciliation to God, to people who hate His Word, to people who hate His law, to people who hate His kingship and oppose His truth in this world. That's our job. See, what Saul needed was a new heart. And if you're out there, if you're out there listening to what I'm saying right now, and you are not a Christian, you need to understand something. That sin and opposing God is futile. You will not win. You won't win. And the Scripture teaches us that there is a way that seems right unto man, but it leads certainly to death. And the deeper we, the deeper and the, the more viciously we oppose God, the more insane we become as human beings. The destruction of sin is incredible. And just because you're opposed to God right now does not mean that you cannot be reconciled with God right now. Now, Christ, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting them to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. And I just want to say one more thing. I know we're running out of time. I want to say one more thing to my brothers and sisters. Listen to what David says to, or what Jonathan says to David. 
Verse 17 of chapter 23. Do not fear the hand of Saul, my father. For my father shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel and I shall be next to you. How did he know that? Because God says so. And Christian, just to finish us up this morning, I'm going to read part of a text that Toby read this morning. Brothers and sisters, what shall we say to these things? That is, our temporary suffering in this life. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who is to condemn. Christ Jesus, the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Christian, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword or coronavirus? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. God graciously preserves his anointed one for his glory and his purposes. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning. We are thankful for the testimony of King David's life. We're thankful for the, just the brutal honesty that the Scripture gives us in displaying his life and the things that happened to him. Lord, help us to understand that the same God who preserved David and the same God who carried out his plan for his chosen king is the same God who has chosen us. And that you are the same God who has planned for each one of our lives and that you have numbered every single one of our days and you know all of them before they come to be. And no matter what happens in this life, no matter what illness comes, no matter what tribulation comes, no matter what difficulty comes, nothing can separate us from Christ. Lord, help your people to rejoice in that. Help your people to walk confidently in that and boldly proclaim that truth in their lives each day. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.